Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, open date time. Don't say bye week time because Tennessee's still working and we're still working time. If you call what we do work time, whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24 7 podcast. Watch Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday. Afternoon, late Monday afternoon, so it'll probably be early Monday evening when we update this, put this out there on Al Gore's internets for you to absorb. So if it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day it is, whatever time of day it is, we're really, really happy that you're spending part of it with us here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Not just me on that pod, on this podcast, because boy, that sure would suck. Uh, we got from the Blount County Satellite Office of Go Vols 24-7, we have Grant Ramey. And from his uh, the the clown car full of children house that he's got over there on the other part of town, it's Ryan Callahan. What's up, fellas? It's Monday. Happy Monday. <laughs> happy up. Happy open date. Good. No good football vibes. to talk about. Good vibes all around this place. Yeah, you know, it's just a really happy town. You know, it, it, it's sort of like uh, what, what's that opening scene in the South Park when he's talking about my my quiet my quiet happy mountain town. That's what that's what we're. That's where we are right now. It's just a really, really happy mountain town. Everything going perfectly with the Vols. Everything's going super. It's not like the past three games have all been lopsided defeats uh, that have completely changed the, the course of this season. Um, but we're going to talk about this season a lot, uh, sort of the midway point. So I don't, know you, I don't know if you call it a report card or stock report and evaluation. Basically, we're going to spend this episode talking about where things are for this team, for this program at the halfway mark. Before we do that, though, uh, after the Alabama game, I just had Pat uh, on with me for the podcast. So Ryan and and Grant also uh, were there, uh, saw some things, saw some things and some stuff. And we can put a bow quickly on that Alabama game. Uh, I'll open the floor to either one of y'all. Just what were your thoughts on the game vis-a-vis expectations and then what you saw? expectations i thought it was kind of what you would expect in that kind of game this is a it's a historical rivalry for sure but it's been lopsided for a while now and obviously tennessee went to tuscaloosa last year and uh, they were in that game for a while but i think that's more the uh, exception to the rule right now based on the talent gap between these two teams and uh the alabamas of the world what were the the world they compete in and live in and, and the world tennessee's in right now and it's there was some good there was some bad um there was some frustration there was some stuff that kind of made you wonder what was going on coaching wise in terms of some decisions in that game. But, you know, overall, that's kind of where this series is right now. Alabama's really good and Tennessee's struggling to find their way. Yeah, it, it was in a way uh, about what you expect. I, I guess I was a little surprised 
just by, I don't know, how, how little of a fight we saw from Tennessee. You know, I, I didn't expect Tennessee to keep that game close for four quarters, but I didn't see a lot of desperation from that team. I, I thought they kind of laid down and took it a little bit uh, when, when the game started going against them. And I, I think that's a little bit concerning to fans to see that sort of response in a game like that, to not see some, you know, why not try an onside kick at a couple of points when you score, you know, when you get a chance to swing the momentum in your game uh, in, in your direction. I just, I just didn't think there was that much. Uh, it seemed like Tennessee was accepting a loss uh, once the game kind of started getting away from them. And, uh, you know, that goes, and just in every way, I didn't, I didn't like the way they uh, approached not substituting, I guess, until the game was already way out of, uh, out of question uh, until the final minutes of the fourth quarter. Really, we didn't see another quarterback, didn't see a lot of backups. Um, so, the, you know, you kind of know the game is not going to go your way uh, when, when you're playing a team as good as Alabama. But just the way sort of Tennessee responded and the way they uh, used that game or maybe didn't use that game to develop some young talent, I, I thought was a little bit disappointing. Even though they did play 15 freshmen, a lot of those guys could have played more, I thought. And that's uh, that as much as anything and just the way Tennessee sort of didn't fight back enough, I thought, sort of concerning in a way, even though they did some positive things and Garantano at least kind of settled the quarterback question for now and showed that he's probably the guy, uh, at least for, for the time being. Yeah, here, here's the question that I, I put to Pat and I, I put to some Tennessee fans and, and to a bunch of other people kind of in the aftermath of that game. In, in my opinion anyway, a, a blowout loss is a blowout loss, no, no matter sort of what else happens. Um, but I'm, I, if your choices were to play the game the way Tennessee did, try to manage it at times and lose 48-17, to 17, uh, would that be better or worse than kind of going balls to the wall and losing 58 to 17? I would personally would rather see a team doing everything it could to win the game. And if that made it worse, so be it. Because at that point, at least you've kind of, you know, you've put all your chips out there. I, I just, I, I think that you're, maybe it doesn't matter in a way. Maybe a, a bad loss is a bad loss. Uh, but I, I still think, um, I don't see any difference in a 31 point loss and like a 45 point loss. If you're, if you're trying some things, I'd rather see that. And yeah, it felt, that, go ahead, Ron. Well, I was just saying, and, it, and that felt different to me from what we've seen from Jeremy Pruitt in the past, because I think he has shown a willingness to sort of go all out, uh, to go for it on fourth downs, to do some different things like that uh, and be aggressive and sort of instill that mindset in his team that we're not going to just take a loss. So I thought, I thought Saturday was a little timid, from the staff and from, and from just the team overall in that regard. And I, I, I expected something different in that game, but I'm with you. I, I think fans are much going to be much more accepting of a, uh, an even worse loss. If you're being aggressive, if you're trying things, you're doing everything you can to make it interesting. And uh, you know, if they were trying to keep it close and sort of slow down the game uh, it obviously didn't work. And, and once it's not working, you know, you just got to, you got to be more aggressive. I, one that stands out to me right before halftime, you've got the ball, you've got less than a minute to go. They just run out the clock. You're down 28 to 10. What, what are you preserving an 18 point deficit? I don't understand why, why not try to take advantage of a loose defense in the final minute of a half of a half, maybe get in field goal range, get it back to a two possession game. Just too many chances like that where they, they could have done more with this game and just didn't take advantage of everything that I thought could have been there for them. I, I agree with that possession right before the half that, didn't make any more sense to me than it did to anybody else. Uh, what do you have to lose right there? I mean, Alabama got the ball back anyway. You might as well 
try to do something with it. I think the second or third, obviously the first possession of the second half ended with the fumble that was returned for a touchdown. I think the second one, they went three and out and punted it away. The third one, I think they scored pretty quickly and then went onside kick. Well, if you're that aggressive to go for an onside kick down 42-17 or whatever it was at that time, maybe 35-17, why aren't you aggressive on that previous possession when you went three runs and punted it? I mean, that was kind of felt like uh, a little bit of a rolling over moment. But at the same time, I think this Tennessee team, this is what it is. It's not exciting. They're, they're, when they're good, like Missouri, they ran it 51 times for 200 and whatever yards, 50 yards. That's how they're going to do it. That's how they have to live. You can tell they don't trust their quarterback a ton. They don't trust their quarterback situation a ton. Uh, they want to go through the run game first, which they should, because that's plays to the strengths of this team. They're going to take some deep shots because uh, what Jared Gantano can do to at least to this point is throw a pretty good deep ball. And, mm-hmm. and they've got some guys that can go get it. Uh, we've seen that over the last few games, but this team's just not, I don't think going to be exciting. They're going to run it as much as they can run it and try to find success there. Uh, and if there are splash plays, they're, they're going to be few and far between. There's not a lot of highlight plays. I don't think with this team, even on good days like Missouri, uh, or I guess you could go back to South Carolina. I think it just kind of is what this team is. I think when it was 21 to 10, and they scored on that Hyatt touchdown, that would have been the point. Even at that point, you'd only given up 21 points. But it, to me, was pretty clear at that point that Bama was going to score on yep. most of its possessions. And you're up, you're down 21-10. Even if Bama's on onside kick aware, which surely it was after watching Tennessee film and seeing that Tennessee does that sometimes, I don't think it makes much of a difference. If you fail on an onside kick, you're giving the other team the ball around, what, 40? I mean, somewhere around there, 35, 40. Alabama was at that spot one play after the touchback, basically, anyway. It made absolutely no difference. And and I get, if you're Pruitt, you don't want to send a message that Lane Kiffin during that Alabama game said a few times, I know my defense can't stop it, so I just don't care. I'm going to onside kick it. You know, if they score, they score. I'm going to come right back. Because they were trying to just basically – make some plays and see if they can make it interesting and go from there. Maybe Pruitt didn't want to send that message to his defense. Maybe he wanted to say, hey, I, you know, y'all, y'all stopped him on the first possession. I think you can stop him here and there. I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to, to break that down too much, but I just think there were some moments in that game where if you are aggressive and it gets worse, personally, that does not bother me. I think you're out there trying to win a game. You cannot manage a game against Alabama. Against early saving teams, you could probably do that, right? You could manage it a little bit. They're going to be conservative. They're just going to kind of grind you down and and kind of maybe start running away from you, you know, midway through the third quarter. But you're in that game for – and if you make a play or two, hey, you can put them under pressure. That's completely gone and has been for a few years now. Alabama has the most explosive offense maybe in all of college football. So they're going to put up a half a hundred pretty much any time they play. So you're going to have to score to beat them. And if you're trying to build a program the way Jeremy Pruitt's trying to build it, you want to try to win every game you play. And I just think being in a shell was never going to beat Alabama. Probably weren't going to begin to beat them anyway, right? Let's just be honest about that. But I just, I don't know. Like that just seemed, that game to me seemed to go kind of be a kind of fly in the face of a lot of the things Pruitt has done at Tennessee. And Mm -hmm. I didn't like seeing it there. Yeah, and I, and I, I have is I have probably a bigger problem too with wasting the opportunity to play some young guys 
in the third, maybe the late third and early fourth quarter of a game that was, let's face it, already over. Um, I, sure, you don't start emptying your bench the minute Malachi Moore returns that fumble in the opening drive of the second half and makes sure. it 35-10, sure. but we knew from that point on the game was pretty much over. So uh, I would have liked to have seen Tennessee get more aggressive. If you have any thoughts of getting Brian Maurer or Harrison Bailey or anyone some playing time at quarterback, do it in the third quarter before Alabama gets its subs out of there. You, you clearly weren't having a ton of success offensively. Uh, it's, it is good that they got another deep ball to Jalen Hyatt later in the game. He had a nice day. They need more of that, frankly. I think they've got enough young talent at wide receiver that you'd like to see those guys play a little bit more, even if it's just after the starters have had their chance for a little while. So I, I would have liked to have seen the second half be more of a showcase for guys like Key Lawrence in the secondary and – Omari Thomas on the defensive line and you know even Morvin Joseph a little bit more an outside linebacker guys like that get them in there see what you have get those young guys some meaningful experience and not just garbage time reps in the second half of the fourth quarter yeah I agree with that uh, I wouldn't have done it at quarterback uh, I would have waited as long as I could to replace Jerry Garantano because clearly you're trying to reestablish some confidence and some sense of purpose in his play at that position because uh, that's your guy. You're, you're clearly sticking with him at this point based on what he did against Kentucky and trotting him back out there against Alabama. Clearly, you believe he's the guy that gives you your team the best chance to win, uh, and doing that is going to mean not turning the ball over, not not having disastrous kind of stretches where, you know, three turnovers at Georgia, four turnovers the first half against Kentucky. Uh, yes, I agree. Other, other positions all over the field, get in as many young guys as you can because you're still having those Sunday night scrimmages at least they did for the first couple of weeks, or I guess the last couple of weeks, do that to help kind of replace that. I mean, the reason you're doing that is to get more reps for these young guys. There's there's no better way to learn than doing it against Alabama when the lights are on, when people are in the stadium, uh, when it's, you know, it's not the practice field. There's a difference. So, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Get those guys in as early as you can because you're trying to do as much work as you can uh, going into this bye week and, and before there are some winnable games on the schedule in the second half. Yeah, that that's the thing that that it just sort of. I guess I'll show my Catholic upbringing here, but you know, there, there's a couple different kinds of sins. There's sins of commission, sins of omission. That game, there seemed to be a lots lots of sins of omission there. Just things that you didn't try, things that you didn't do, and you wonder what's the benefit of not trying them. What what's the worst that could happen if you do try them? You know what. what are you worried that if Maurer gets in there, he's going to throw two pick sixes in three minutes? Well, we've seen that. That just happened the week before against the worst team with your starter in there. You know, if you're, what happens if you put in one of those young wide receivers and he zigs when he should zags and it turns into a pick six? Well, your starting running back just coughed up the ball for a touchdown just a second ago. You've given up four defensive touchdowns. I think there have been eight turnovers in the past three games maybe, and four of them have led uh, have been led to defensive touchdowns and three others let the other team start with the ball in field goal range. So you're self-destructing anyway. So go self-destruct with some new pieces. Um, I get why you want to put the older guys in there at first. Makes all the sense in the world to me. But it just, you know, it's like if you're going to keep your guys in there, your starters, then be aggressive and try to get back in the game seriously. Or if you're just going to go run your normal stuff, put your young guys in there and do that. I just, to me... That was one of the few times a lot of the mistakes or, or things that Jeremy Pruitt and his staff have done that I haven't necessarily liked, I've understood them. The past couple of years, like I've understood them. You know, Georgia State, listen, they completely underestimated that opponent. They weren't ready to go. That is a classic 
young head coach mistake to make. It just happens. You know, it does. Other games where they tried some aggressive stuff and it backfired, mm, okay, they're trying to win. They're being aggressive. They're trying to change a culture. I get that. That Alabama game was the first time I just had to sit there and go, what, what's happening here? What, why, why is this? Are, are you just running through the motions here? It's an opportunity. You only get 10 games this season maybe, so or less if things get worse with, with the COVID. So just go try to win the game. Go try to I make think- plays. I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, so many fans are clamoring for these young guys to get bigger opportunities early in the game when it's not garbage time. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly, if if this coaching staff, if anything about a college football coach, they're ultra paranoid about giving their team the biggest chance to have success, and they're ultra competitive. You know, Jeremy Pruitt's not just sitting on these kids because he wants to lose. I mean, he yes. wants to win football games. He wants to be competitive mm-hmm. in these football games, especially – against of all teams Alabama if they were ready they would be on the field if they could help they would be on the field I think that tells you like they've been COVID free or whatever he says for the last five weeks and they are getting practice time and reps in practice but they're still playing catch-up mode from fall camp and I think if those guys were ready if they could help you Mm -hmm. they would play because there's no reason to sit on them I Sorry, I accidentally muted myself there. Um, Way to go. Way to go, Ron. Yeah. Um, No, I I do think it's worth pointing out a positive, though, here. Tennessee did play better in a couple of meaningful areas that when it comes to looking ahead to the Arkansas game, a game that now is is really pivotal in Tennessee's season, things that are more significant than probably playing some use when it comes to winning that game. Jarrett Garantano obviously settled down, didn't throw an interception, didn't probably make enough plays, but he did have a few really nice downfield throws that give you some hope. And, and again, we saw that in the past with guys like Marquez Callaway, Jawan Jennings. Now that we're seeing it again, I think we can safely say that's not just a Jennings or Callaway thing. This is what Garantano does well. So frankly, I'd, I'd kind of like to see more of that. If I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm looking at that offense. That's one of the few things they've really done well this year is throw that deep ball. And also you've got a guy in Jalen Hyatt who's shown he can do that. Uh, Josh Palmer has shown he can do that. Get those guys down the field maybe more and take more shots. Yeah, uh, two, two targets for Hyatt com- were led to two big plays, and they didn't try anything else. So that yeah. was not enough targets for him, clearly. And this offense has shown that maybe unlike last year, it, it it's more likely to make some mistakes that are going to make longer drives difficult to pull off when you're not running the ball extremely well. So I think that's even more reason to maybe take more shots. But you, you did show that you can do that well even against a top team like Alabama. So that's, that's a good sign there. They did it against Georgia too. So I think that's, that's clearly one of the, one of this offense's strengths and that offensive line that's taken so much of a beating from people this year, you know, Alabama's defense this year is not what we're maybe used to seeing from Alabama, but it's still the number one, uh, number two team in the country. Um, and you, your offensive line didn't give up a sack. You didn't, you didn't put up huge numbers in the running game, but a group that is, has been, uh, beaten down pretty good by fans this year for not living up to expectations. I thought played pretty well. And you got to look at Javante Spragans in there again uh, in some meaningful time. Replaced Trey Smith briefly. Played some at left guard when he left the game. Also played at right guard. They ran behind him once or twice that I saw and, and did pretty well when they did. So I think you see something there. And, and they, even with some some guys injured on the offensive line, they had a pretty good game. So I think those are two two things you can clearly build off of. I didn't see enough positives on defense, but that's – 
probably to be expected somewhat against a team that's as good offensively as Alabama, but clearly yeah, but, some but, things but to the, build on. The secondary had three golden chances to make interceptions. I mean, Mac Jones completed 25 of 31 passes. At least three of them, not could have been, should have been intercepted, and they weren't. Yes. And that is – that's not good. If you get three chances, golden chances to make an interception in a game – a good team's going to get at least two of them, um, but even most teams are going to get one of them. You got to get at least one of them. You, you just have well, and to. We're, we're halfway through this season, too. I think we can safely say now Tennessee's secondary, it's more than just a slow start now. That group's just not very good right now. The safeties um, are more concerning to me than the, than the corners, yeah. but yeah. But that's that that's a head scratcher to me. There, that we thought that was going to be the, the strength of Tennessee's defense. You know, of course, Alabama's going to get its yards, even without Jalen Waddell, you're, you're going to have some big plays against an offense that good. But uh, just all season, we've seen it from that group. They're not they're not playing very well back there. Jeremy Pruitt's repeatedly said it. I think that's a big concern for this team, for this program, frankly, going forward, that it, you know, in year three, you need better depth in the secondary. You need some reliable starters for that matter. And and I thought they would play better this year than they have so far, and, and that's, that's something they've got to get fixed somehow. Here's a, here's a random aside. I'm going to go Peter Griffin, what grinds my gears. <laughs> Jerry Garantano is not a running quarterback. Correct. And this isn't a zone read offense, but it looks like a zone read concept every time they're in the shotgun. And he hands it off to Eric Gray or Ty Chandler uh, going one way or the other. At some point, he's going to have to pull it and run because you're not making anybody hesitate yep. when for five straight games you've handed it off every single time. Sometimes that play action works and sets up stuff down the field with those deep balls that we were talking about. And he's not fast, but he's had success running the football the few times he's tried it he looks goofy as he can he looks like uh, the inflatable arm flailing tube men when he's running downfield with with body parts going everywhere but at some point pull the football when that end crashes down and create some hesitation for future uh for future plays i don't know why that popped into my head but sitting there saturday watching him hand off every single time you're, you're not fooling me. Yeah, a good. And, uh, I'm. I'm not what I would call an offensive guru. I'm not what I would call an X's and O's football guru. I, I'm. I'm. A man. A man needs to be honest about what he is and what he isn't. And I, and that's what I'm not. There are other sports that X's and O's wise I can probably tell you more about. But I do know that good offenses in football, there is a reason for everything you're doing. Every single thing that everyone is doing has a purpose. And that purpose is to confuse the defense or make the defense respect what you're doing and pay attention to it. Because if you're not, you're just sort of taking up space. And there's no point of just taking up space. If you are running a zone read concept, but the, the defense knows, that quarterback's never going to pull it down and run it unless we flush him out of the pocket. He's just not going to do that. That's taking what would be a huge chunk of that offense, which is respecting the quarterback's ability to pull it and run it, and taking it away. So what you're doing essentially is you're wasting time. You're wasting time. You're wasting space. And I think Jim Chaney's too good an offensive coordinator to do that. I mean, I, I think you're right, Grant. It just makes no sense if that's not going to be a part of your offense. Why are you doing it? It's like why it's like teams that, that you know, you'll even see some leech teams do this where they do some play action stuff. And it's like, bro, you're throwing it 50 times a game and running it 12 times a game. No one's going to respect the run. They're going to let you pop off a couple big runs because they don't care because they know that most of the time you're going to throw it. So why are you, why are you play act? You know, it's like teams will run the ball 20 times for a yard and they're still play action faking. Like it's going to mean anything when we know it doesn't. I just, I understand why you got to do some things you got to do, but I agree with you, Grant. That just that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
We also learned that um, it, we got a very brief look at him, but Brian Maurer uh, on that final drive, he only threw one pass for one yard, but he did get to tuck and run one time, and he even slid. And even on that sliding run, we learned that he has a hard time avoiding contact, <laughs> often helmet to helmet. I'm just calling contact. him Lee. I'm just calling him Leroy Jenkins from now on. I thought about it before, and now it's just like he is just. If you've never seen Leroy Jenkins, you got to go in there on YouTube and watch Thumbs it. Up, let's do it. Let, let's do this. Leroy Jenkins. Every time he takes off, it's like something's going to happen. There's going to be some violent conduct here at some point. I don't know who's going to get hurt, but someone's going to get hurt. It's just not going to. It's just. It's just who he is. And maybe you know, I, I I'll say this though. He he has the athleticism to make some plays with his mm-hmm. legs. I, I like seeing that side of, of Tennessee's offense and the arm and the arm to game. make throws and the arm to make throws. Yeah. And give give Garantano credit too. He had a couple of nice runs uh, to keep plays to keep drives alive. He had an eight yard run on third and seven to keep that drive alive right before he went deep to Hyatt for the thirty eight yard touchdown. So uh, get, you know he's not known. You know he's gotten a lot of uh, flack for that dual threat label that he had coming out of high school. I guess we have and other analysts have too. Um, but he's he's still shown that ability to run at times. And I thought those were a couple of nice plays he made Saturday. Yeah, and I think I think we've put a ball in this Bama game now. I think we're, we're making points here that that are saying listen. You know, this. there are a couple things that probably should have been done differently, a bunch of things that could have been done differently, a few things that just should have been done differently. But the bottom line is that's a loss. That was probably going to be a loss. Move on. Someone's now am – I, am I being told to move now? Is that what that beep on that phone is <laughs> no, doing there? that was me. No, I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm very professional. No, we're all professionals here, obviously. But, no, I mean, I think the point is that, that we knew that was going to be a loss. It was a loss. So move on. You know, kind of thought Tennessee would be three and two now. Instead, it's two and three. That Kentucky game is still the one that's sticking in the craw. But you know what? That's that's the ouchie, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna discuss that and much more uh, as we sort of wrap up the first half of the season here in the second segment of this episode. Also, take a quick look forward at the uh, or wrap up the first half. Look at the second half. Ask Ryan a couple questions about recruiting, and then get out of here. Before we do all that fun, though, we're gonna step away for just a second and pay some bills. Hashtag ad. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. 
Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Monday, late Monday afternoon, early Monday evening, depending on which when your cutoff is for that. Joined by Grant Ramey from the Go Vols 24-7 satellite, Blunt County Satellite Office. I think if I said that correctly, Blunt County Satellite Office in Maryville. Yeah, we'll go with that. Ryan Callahan from his abode. Fellas, before we talk about the second half of this season uh, and where things are after the end of the first half, I do want to quickly remind everyone, please go in there. Just take a couple minutes out of your day. Hit the, hit the subscribe button on this podcast. Boy, I'm doing a great job with this transition today. Hashtag words. Just nailing it. Uh, please hit the subscribe button on that podcast feed, uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you can cast a fine pod, you can find the GoVols 24-7 podcast. So please hit that subscribe button. Please rate and review this podcast. There's nothing you can do that will help us more than that. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it, but we really would like – I can see the numbers growing every week. It's really incredible. I've been looking at, like, year over year uh, and month over month and, and all these other week over week, all these, all these numbers, and it's just going through the roof. Really, really happy about it. Uh, but if y'all could – just hit that rate and review button, uh, review this podcast. That would help us out quite a bit. So please go do that. Tell us what you like. Tell us something you think we can do better because we'll certainly listen to that. All of us except for Ryan. He might be too arrogant to listen to it. The rest of us will listen to it, and uh, you can go in there and do that, and we will all be happier for it. Fellas, hit the subscribe button on GoVols 24-7 too. 50% off an annual subscription if there you, you go. sign up right now. So there you go. Join now. I was going to say that at the end. It's good to say that now too. Promotion, hashtag promotion goulet. Guys, the first half of Tennessee season, right? We talked about this a little bit in the first segment, but Alabama and Georgia, most people thought would be losses, ended up being losses. There's some bones you can pick over from both of those games, sure. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that you haven't moved forward as a program. That's not what those games mean right now. They will at some point for Tennessee. I don't think it's there yet. The problem, the fly in the ointment, uh, the turd in the punch bowl, is that Kentucky game. It just was bad. Uh, it was just so, so, so bad. I wish I could come up with a better word. Just unacceptably bad. Now Tennessee is at 2-3 and three, um, going into the second half of the season. The Vols were in uh, probably a worse position last season and ended up kind of digging themselves out of it. Uh, but at that point in the season, they did not have the caliber of opponents they have coming up in the second half of this schedule. Uh, Tennessee's second half of the schedule, overall, probably about, you know, it's hard to say what's more difficult, the first or the last, because they're just very different, because the first half had two games that you probably weren't going to win and three games that you probably should win. Uh, there's a lot more toss-ups uh, in, in the second half of the schedule, uh, starting with this Arkansas game, which a lot of people Went into the season not thinking this was going to be a toss-up. Now it looks like one hell of a toss-up to me, the way Arkansas is playing. Uh, you've also got Florida. You've also got Auburn. You've also got A&M. So, and then you got Vanderbilt, which hooray. But then you've got the other four that are, you know, those are tough games. And does this team, with what we've seen in the first half of the season, and taking into account the fact that the play has not improved throughout the season, you know, the second week was was probably the best, but – and then the first half of the Georgia game. Uh, but since then, it's been been going down. How much needs to change for Tennessee to salvage this season? And what does salvaging this season look like? What would that look like? Go ahead, Ryan. I think, 
Well, I was going to say, I, I think salvaging this season is getting to 500. Um, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect Tennessee to, to win four of its last five games when you still have Texas A&M and Florida left on the schedule. Those, those are games that and, I think Tennessee And, and you got to play, play Auburn and Auburn Jesus also at the same time, so yeah. that's tough. Yep. So, yeah, even if let's, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say Auburn is a, a toss up game that Tennessee very much could win, which I think is, is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Our, Auburn's not very good. Um, in my opinion, they're, they're an okay team, but a, but a beatable team and Arkansas, obviously, you know, they, they should have beaten Auburn, frankly, and, uh, and it's looked pretty good. So what, what I went into the season viewing as one of Tennessee's two easiest games along with Vanderbilt and a, a virtually guaranteed win has has now turned into a a critical toss-up game that Tennessee needs to win to essentially salvage uh, a realistic shot at a, at a five and five finish. If you can get to five and five, to me, which uh, was my prediction going into the year, but it didn't include a loss to Kentucky. But if you can get to five and five, I think that's okay in the year with conference only play. I know some people will say, "Yeah, uh, you need to be taking steps forward. You won eight games last year. Five and five is not good enough." I, I get that, but SEC plays tough. It's a weird year, and let's face it, Tennessee's blown its chance now to have a, a really good path to a six or seven win regular season. Uh, with that loss to Kentucky, it hurt them. So I like think the the adjusted goal is five and five, and if you can find a way to get there, it's it's got to start with a win over over Arkansas. I think. For me, y'all know how optimistic I am. Of course, it's in my blood, yeah, part of my DNA mm-hmm. from day one. I mean, I'm y'all calling me crazy. I don't think the sky is falling on this team. Like, it is what it is. You had mm-hmm. turnover parades against Florida. Uh, I'm sorry, Florida, against Kentucky. Uh, you had turnover parade in the second half against Georgia. Uh, you didn't turn it over against Alabama, but you just got whooped by a team that's a lot better than you, a lot better than a lot of people in college football. Probably the odds-on favorite to win a national championship uh, right there with Clemson. If you just don't turn the ball over there are a lot of winnable games the second half of the schedule i have no idea who auburn is any more than i have an idea of kind of what tennessee is going to be week to week i don't really know what texas a&m is going to be week to week are they going to be the team that beats florida are they going to be the team that struggles to put away vanderbilt you know they're three and one and that's probably kind of where they want to be right now but they didn't handle alabama any better than tennessee did so those two games specifically always looked like kind of a, if you're going to make some hay right there, you got to do it against those two teams. Maybe if you can find a win there, they look a lot more winnable now than they did, you know, five weeks ago. Uh, and the Kentucky loss is going to be awful. It's going to be a Georgia state like kind of mark on the schedule uh, for as long as Bruce, the head coach of Tennessee, it just is what it is. That loss shouldn't happen. It, it never had happened or hadn't happened in, you know, almost a hundred years, whatever. But there are winnable games here, and I think the solution is just taking care of the football. Even if JG's your quarterback, clearly he is right now, and moving forward it looks like that because they stuck with him against Alabama. Just take care of the football, run the ball, control the clock, and find a way to fix this defense. Uh, the defense has as many questions as the offense, but there are winnable games now, and I agree. If you get to 5-5, five and five, that's a success. If you can do anything better, that's really good. And if anything worse, you got a lot of questions. Yeah, I think uh, when, when you said turnover parade against Florida, I'm not sure whether you'd call that a Freudian slip or a Pavlovian slip, but it was. That, that's so, one way to salvage the season. Beat the brakes off Florida in December, and everybody be happy. Yeah, I, I mean, Merry you know, Christmas, everybody. Yeah, it's a it's a weird. And do you think now that if Tennessee did that, 
You know, do you think Kentucky's now like, man, we got to play Tennessee earlier in the season? That's always been the key. Just got to get them in like that fourth, fifth game of the season, stop playing them so late. It would change the whole thing, kind of like uh, Tennessee fans were after beating Florida in 01 down there in December. But uh, I digress. You know, m- my, my question is now that sort of, you know, every year kind of has that, or for Tennessee seems like the past 12, 13, whatever years in a row, have had that kind of awkward reality check moment, right? Where you you have all these expectations, and some years they've been more fair than others. Uh, but, you know, Tennessee fans going into every season, they're always optimistic, and by God, they always should be. It's Tennessee. You know, football is a huge part of the tradition here, of the just the livelihoods of people here. You want to think that the team's going to be good. There's no harm in that. You know, I think sometimes when some of y'all set the expectations so high, you're just creating an, a, a reality where you're going to be miserable. But, hey, that is your right to do that. Bottom line is everybody has some level of optimism going into most seasons. And then it comes that moment. Usually Florida does it, um, you know, early in the season or, or, or somewhere along the line. You get that, Ugh, like this is not going to be what I thought it was kind of a season. People in the program feel that too. They train these kids to be robots. They try their damnedest to make these kids robots, but they they are not robots. You know, Alante Taylor. I asked him after the game. You know, did you think he'd be sitting here two and three? He said, "No, I thought we'd be five and zero." Oh. I mean that that's and that's he said it with so much conviction that I was like, whether he believes that or not, that's the truth. That that or, whether he should have believed it or not, that's what he believed. So now they're there. And it's one thing in the first or second year Pruitt's there, you're trying to build a program, you're trying to build a culture. It's easier in that moment to kind of keep pushing, right? Because you see, hey, keep pushing, you know, eventually get this thing going. You're in year three now, and it's probably got to hurt a little bit more now because you were ranked, you were 2-0, and you did have, a, you were leading Georgia at halftime, it's these guys are going to have thoughts in their heads of how good this thing can be. Right. And then reality just comes punching you right in the face and you're two and three and you're going into another difficult part of the schedule because the whole thing schedule, whole schedule is difficult. It's sec only. Now you're in that moment, right? How do you respond to that? And I, I don't know how these guys will respond to that yet. And frankly, the way Pruitt spoke after the game, I'm not entirely sure how he's going to respond to it because he just threw up his hands in the air after the game basically and said, guys, I didn't expect to be in this situation. This is new for me. We've been losing for too long. It's uncomfortable. It's not what I'm used to. We got to fix this thing. And so then he, he said the good things about looking forward and, you know, I think this roster is in better shape than it was three years ago. Yeah, and The things he should say, right? But do these guys have it within them to push forward now. To me, that's the most important thing because I still see potential in this team. I still see it. But they have to see it in themselves and they have to keep pushing because if they don't play better, they're going to be sitting here at three and seven. Yeah, that's the that's the concern now is, you know, things can start to spiral downhill uh, once the negativity starts to build. And that's kind of what came to mind for me with the Jimmy Brumbaugh news, you know, because that's, that's an example of what can happen when things aren't going well. Now, that was a very obviously a, a, a bad fit, a, a, a change that needed to happen sooner or later. So that's maybe not an example of, of unexpected things that can happen, but things that are kind of just bubbling beneath the surface become much bigger deals when you're not winning. 
And so that's why I think it is really important for this team to bounce back somehow and get this thing uh, going back in the right direction, starting with Arkansas, because if this turns into a four game losing streak with Arkansas, uh, and then you've got uh, what Texas A&M after that, or is Auburn, that Auburn? I believe. I, can't remember. I thought it was Texas A&M and then at Auburn, but either way, a, another pretty tough game coming up after that. Suddenly the outlook is not so positive. You've got a very narrow path to it, to a 500 season. It's it, everything. You know, those types of things just can, can continue to happen, not necessarily leading to coaching changes, but that's where players start to question, you know, their situations a little bit more. Everybody just looks at things differently when, when things are not going well. So I think you don't want it to get to that point. I think you do need to stop this losing streak at three. I, I for, for a lot of reasons, I think this Arkansas game is, is really important for getting the season back on track because you're right, Wes, this team's had signs of being better than it's looked the past couple of weeks. And we're, we may look back at the at halftime of the, the Georgia game as the high watermark for this team. You know, they were 2-0. and uh, We thought that was a, a game that might be Tennessee's coming out party on a national level. They're, they're leading a top-five team on the road at halftime. And it's kind of been all downhill from there. And, and they just ha- haven't had much offensive success. The defense isn't looking very good a lot of times. It, they, they've got to get something going really on both sides of the ball and, and start playing up to their potential because I think they are better than they've shown the past couple of weeks if they can get everybody back and kind of pulling in the same direction and, and executing better than they have the last two and a half games. I mean, the crazy thing is, though, we were here a year ago. This whole thing was happening a year ago. I mean – through four games, you were one and four, and your only win was Chattanooga, and two losses were a BYU game that, you know, you gave away late in the game, and the Georgia State game where you just got, you know, you just got to hand it to you for basically a better part of 60 minutes because you weren't ready to go for that game. Uh, went to Florida and got hammered, came home against Georgia and, and made a change at quarterback. There was a little bit of spark. There was a little bit of excitement for a little bit, and then you got hammered the rest of the way uh, for the final whatever, you know, 40 minutes of that game, 45, whatever it was. Now you got to find a way to have a similar response that you had last season. Obviously, this, the second half of the schedule this time around is a little bit different than the, the schedule was uh, this time last year. But, you know, shout out the 24-7, you know, composite rankings, talent rankings for these teams. Tennessee's 15th in that, and it's just, it's just based on five stars, four stars, three stars that you've accumulated on this roster. Auburn's 14th, Texas A&M's 11th, and Florida's 7th. So – Auburn and Texas A&M, those are two teams you can compete with because your talent is pretty similar. You should find a way to be better than those teams on those game, on those days. You should be in those games. So they're just going to have to go out and find a way to win because, uh, you know, these games are going to keep coming up. They're not, they're not going away. So you got to find a way to uh, get some answers and, and get them quick because you're going to Arkansas, a team that's believing in what it's doing right now, uh, a team that a lot of people said should be 0-10 at the end of this 10-game schedule, and they're not. Uh, they're playing really good football or a lot better football than anybody expected. So uh, it's, it almost feels like you're going to South Carolina again, another 730 kickoff on the road to start this five-game stretch. You better go and find a way to win a football game. You're also going up against a guy who knows Jim Chaney's offense as well as anyone around does. You're, you're talking about Sam Pittman, who was with him for years. They're very, very close friends off the field. They they know each other very, very, very well. And so he he will be able to give his defense answers to things Cheney's doing, and that's going to be a tough, tough game for Cheney to call because he's going to know that you're just going to have to execute because Pittman's going to know what's coming a lot of times. And he's if he can communicate that accurately to his defense, you're in trouble. And that's one thing that I'll say before we, before we move on to recruiting and get out of here is that I think the one – 
at least, and to me, in terms of a solid explanation, the one solid explanation or solid reason I would have for Tennessee playing out the string the way it did against Alabama, kind of keeping the starters out there, but playing vanilla, maybe trying to get them some confidence and not showing a lot, not opening it up, not doing some trick, tricky stuff. If you're saving that because you know how difficult the second half of the schedule is and you know you want to save that for games where it's really going to matter, okay, I'll buy that. That's the one. If it turns out well, then I'll go back and say, okay, I see why you kept some things in the cupboard against Bama because why throw, why go balls to the wall in that game and lose by 40 or 50 and then you've you've given Auburn and A&M and Florida a chance to see some of your best stuff. Okay, I'll buy that. That That's long-term strategy. Uh, you could say, and that's something that I think uh, that I think you could you could explain away, Ryan. Before we step out of here, uh, anything with recruiting? I know we, there's a big decision coming up on Friday. Not sure it's going to be great news for Tennessee, but still someone they've been after for a while. What's going on in the recruiting world? Yeah, we we've talked before about the the challenges for Tennessee and in recruiting without a, a defensive line coach, and uh, this this may be uh, the the first big example of that. Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, a guy they've been in on for a long time top 100 defensive lineman from Gaffney, South Carolina, now says he's announcing his decision on Friday. I, I will say, worth noting, he did this once before back in May, uh, said he was announcing a decision about five days later, six days later, and quickly backed off it and decided to push it back. And and here he is, you know, five months later, and he still still hasn't announced. The recruit, and he's who, kinda, the recruit who cried wolf? Yeah, I was just, that, I know that's much earlier in the process. And he's a guy who's been kind of indecisive at times. So I guess you never know things could change between now and Friday and he could decide to take a step back. But he's kind of been working toward this for a while. He, he hinted early in early October that he was probably going to make a decision within a month. So the timing's about right. I think he's maybe serious this time and, and ready to go forward with it. And the, the momentum lately has kind of been pointed toward Georgia, I think. Uh, that's the team that's been, been in the best shape. But he's also tweeted a lot about South Carolina lately. Um, so even without the Brumball news, I, I think you would probably say Tennessee is an underdog in this one. But especially with Tennessee not having a, a new defensive line coach in place, uh, hard to see Tennessee being the choice on Friday. You know, we'll see if we hear anything different over the next few days. But I certainly think uh, South Carolina, the longtime favorite on the 24-7 sports crystal ball, you know, is the other team that has a shot. But Georgia, I think, is, has done a good job with them lately and has uh, you know, kind of had the had the buzz uh, that we've we've heard over the past several weeks uh, since the season started, especially that it makes me think Georgia's maybe the, the the favorite if I had to guess right now. But one of those teams probably more likely to be the choice, and you know we'll, we'll see uh, we'll see if Tennessee can pull a surprise or, or where else they go on the defensive line because I think they still need some help at that position, and, and it's a challenge to address that without a defensive line coach in place right now. Uh, Grant, last thing before I step out of here for for you, anything. Anything at all going on right now? Uh, I know hoops right now. We've been talking to a lot of people in the Tennessee basketball program, trying to leave people on a more exciting note, which will be Tennessee basketball. Hey, probably starting pretty soon. Um, but the schedule has still just been a disaster trying to get all that together with all the COVID stuff and everything. Uh, where do things stand there now, and, and what's the buzz going around the program? This is not an uplifting topic to end the podcast on, I can assure you. You know that little cartoon dog that's surrounded by the fire and it says, this is fine? That's yeah. the basketball <laughs> schedule right now because they were, they were betting on everybody going to Orlando and having a bubble-like setting and ESPN holding all of their – you know, conference, I mean, not conference, non-conference, kind of the holiday tournament stuff that, that plays out every year on Thanksgiving, all in that one setting. And then there's different protocols for different leagues. And it's not happening now at this point. They pulled the plug, the, the Jimmy V Classic, which has got Tennessee and Gonzaga part of that. They might play that in Indianapolis at this point, according to a couple of reports. 
the Charleston Classic was supposed to be moved to Orlando. That was an 18 field where Tennessee was supposed to get three games. Uh, that's That's been kind of – that was axed, I guess, with everything else that ESPN was trying to do down there. So everybody's in scramble mode right now in, in a season that's supposed to start a month from now, and they don't have home openers finalized. They don't have schedules finalized. Tennessee's thought they had it done twice. They're still trying to figure it out. The SEC hasn't even sent out their schedule. Um, I think it's at this point where it starts pivoting towards you need to focus on how can you play an SEC-only schedule, a conference-only schedule across the country uh, to figure this thing out as quickly as you can because you want to have a season. You want to play as many as as close to 30 games as you can, like a normal season. Um, our teams, a lot of teams are holding those multi-teams events at their own gyms and trying to get as many people there as they can to play games. So uh, it's chaos. Tennessee's got a really good team. They're going to be really exciting. They're going to be young, athletic, really good defensively. Uh, really good in transition. The only, you know, the only question is who's going to be able to see them at Thompson Bowling Arena. How many people are going to be there? When are they going to play there? And who all are they going to play? Yeah, I think at this point, just getting able, being able to play anywhere would, would be good. Um, if you have to try to create some kind of a bubble, even for conference play, if there's anything you can do, get those guys learning remotely. You know, whatever you have to do, uh, I think economically for these universities, they're going to take a hit by not being able to have. Games on, you know, in arenas sold out. That's a nice big revenue stream for Tennessee. But at this point, you need those games on television, and you need the money that comes with that because you just can't come away with this from this with nothing. You just have to nobody, find no, a way. Nobody, nobody pays me to make these kind of decisions because I'm an idiot. But I would be pushing everything to December 29th, which is the SEC start date. At this point, uh, if nothing else, I would try to play a round robin. 26-game uh, SEC schedule where you go home and home with every team in the league, or if you can go to neutral sites and get as many teams there in the building as you can and play multi-games on a weekend, multiple games on a weekend, do that. Whatever you got to do, salvage the conference season and, and push everything back as far as you can if you have to just because you need March Madness. You can't go two years without March Madness. So find a way to make it work. If it's conference only, if there's non-conference, whatever, find a way to make it happen. And Grant, if you play 26 conference games starting in late December, do you still play the NCAA tournament at its usual time? Do you squeeze? Yeah, I think games? so. I, th- I think you could you could do like a you know Friday, Sunday, whatever. I don't I don't know. I think you could tweak the schedule and, and figure out a way to to jam everything. You play 18 conference games in a normal season, so you're talking about eight games that you would have to find. Uh, I don't know back to backs or. I don't know how you'd work out the travel or if it'd be neutral sites or uh, true home and homes, whatever. I don't know, but you need to be figuring out a, a backup backup plan for the SEC and for all these conferences because you're going to have to have a product on the floor by New Year's and, and play it out over the next, you know, the two months that follow uh, to get to March because you, you can't have the same situation playing out where you can't have March Madness again. Yeah, or if you try, try to draw them out of a hat almost and then just do your back-to-backs that way. Um, I think the the idea people are going to have to get used to seeing back to backs in college basketball this season because if there's going to be a season, I don't see a way around if unless you put the entire thing at a bubble site, uh, I, I don't know how else you can do it other than safely, somewhat safely, unless you do back to backs. And I think that's just something that they're going to have to do. Four, four words, just figure it out. That's I think that's a good way to end this podcast. Vols, figure out your football. Uh, Tennessee recruiting, figure out your commits and hoops, figure out a way to play your game. Just do your jobs. Can we end on that? Can we end on that? Can we end on that, guys? Can we we say that? (laughs) We'll end on that. Guys, get out of here. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end. I think that's a good place to end. 
Guys, thanks for listening. As always, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govols 24-7. That's just Tennessee news all the time there. Or you can go to facebook.com slash govols 24-7, which is not completely just Tennessee news all the time, but it's, it's, uh, it's mostly Tennessee news on there. And there's good stuff updated throughout both of those sites throughout the day so go check those out but if you want that delicious east tennessee mountain spring water just right from the tap right from the source go get that at govals247.com the best site on all of al gore's internets to get coverage on tennessee football football recruiting basketball basketball recruiting baseball lady vol sports where marie cornelius does an excellent job covering the lady vols for us you can get all of that there's also got two forums. We got the Tennessee, uh, the the checkerboard, uh, which is the main forum, and then we've got the summit, the appropriately named summit, which is uh, for women's sports discussion and for other things as well. Tons of good stuff on both of those checkerboard summit forums throughout the day. So go check those out. And right now, uh, you can get all that for fifty percent off. Is that what I said? Did I say fifty percent off? I don't mean one five guys. I mean five o, five o. 50 percent off. Go check it out right now. Go do that. And if you do that and you end up paying us full price, which is still less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access to CBS All Access for free uh, as long as you are a full paying member with us. That's everything in the CBS catalog, all the streaming stuff for free. Every show CBS ever done for free. New movies every month. You get Comedy Central stuff all the time. You get Smithsonian stuff. Uh, you get Nickelodeon stuff for the kids. Uh, you also get MTV and BET as well. You get all kinds of stuff, all kinds of other Viacom properties on there, on there. That's a $100 annual value for free. There's also live sports on there, live and catalog sports. We got, there's SEC football, Tennessee football, obviously, uh, college basketball, March Madness, SEC hoops. Uh, you got NFL stuff on there. You got uh, some World Series of Poker stuff on there if you're into that stuff. You also got UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, huge things there that you can get right there on CBS All Access. And again, guys, that's $100 plus for free every year that we're just putting in your pocket. So do that. If nothing else, uh, this is an open date for Tennessee, uh, so we don't expect a ton of breaking news. That's me knocking on wood that you hear right now on this studio. Uh, But if nothing else, you should hear from us by Thursday, I would say. Maybe earlier than that, but definitely by Thursday. Uh, And last thing, guys, please take care of yourselves out there. Be safe. Come on, guys. These numbers aren't good. Let's fix this. If nothing else, let's just get better, get healthy, do what we got to do, take our medicine, and get through this thing so we can have sports and have life and go back to normal. Let's just do our part. Please, please do that. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 